brings a very good reason, and uh, you'll be more clear on that reason in just a little bit, why the Anglican Mission in the Americas has determined to continue our relationship underneath the, the province of uh, Rwanda. Bishop Louis Mabuni is with us this morning. His wife, Winnie, is out here sitting next to my wife. Uh, they're going to be with us this week. We just left the Winter Conference of the Anglican Mission. Uh, I think very nearly all of the bishops, but one or two uh, from Rwanda were with us while we visited together in Greensboro. It was a really engaging and awesome time uh, to be together. It's good for us as bishops to be with our brothers in Rwanda uh, because they're different than us. They work ten times harder than we do. Uh, their lives are not about writing sermons and exegeting scripture, uh, though they do it and do it well. They wake up in the morning and they make sure that every child in their church has the money to go to school that day, the food to eat. They teach animal husbandry to their priests. They help them to raise farm animals to feed. They work long days every day, much longer than any of us do. They take no days off. I know because I've talked to his wife, Louis, who was consecrated in June of this past year. Uh, in fact, Louis, I still have the dirt from the uh, soccer pitch on my clothes. Yeah. I haven't yet. I know he's not taken a day off since that time. I was with my friend, Mr. Josias, the other day in uh, Greensboro. He said that since 1997, he has not had one day off. You're looking at a man who is at once uh, a wonderful and hardworking man filled with the Holy Spirit and the love of God. You're looking also at a man who, in the midst of that work and the amazing responsibility, has the most humble spirit of any person I've ever met. When I engaged Louis for the first time, I knew instantly that I wanted to walk next to him. Uh, and as we do, slowly, our American pride, our goals and ambitions, our selfishness begins to get stripped away. The work in Rwanda, as I said, is hard, but it's really beyond simply hard work the way we think of it in this country. It's the work of reconciling a nation that just less than 16 years ago saw one of the most genocides in the history of the world. Bringing people of different backgrounds together and allowing them to bring their differences to the foot of the cross where reconciliation happens is the story. You've heard it said, but now I'd like to introduce you to my brother Louie, a man who lives this reconciliation and who has witnessed firsthand the love and the power of God. Can you please welcome Louie Malone? Good morning. Good morning. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I and my wife, my beloved wife Winnie, uh, we bring greetings from Rwanda, and in particular, we bring greetings from uh, brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters from uh, the Anglican Church Diocese of Chigari. I don't know how many of you have been to Rwanda, but. Uh, 
we would love to see you, all of you there, <laughs> one day, God willing. So we bring greetings from your brothers and sisters in Rwanda who loves you. We know you love us, but we also love you. And we thank God for the partnership we have in the Lord, in the mission of our Lord. So it's a, it's a great privilege. It's a wonderful blessing to be in Rwanda and to know that some people somewhere in the U.S. are praying for you. People somewhere in the United States of America are with you in the mission, in the, in the, in the partnership of serving our Lord in our generation. Thank you very much. I just want to start by giving you an introduction of myself and my testimony because uh, we come from a background of revival, of the East African revival, whereby giving a testimony is one of the powerful <laughs> instruments of our ministry, of our calling, of our, of our witness. I became a Christian 27 years ago, and uh, that was, uh, I will never forget that day when uh, I committed my life uh, to the Lord. My parents, uh, who passed away, uh, it's now about uh, nine years ago, they passed away, they became Christians during the East African revival which began at a place called Gahini. Bishop Doc has been there. And that's my native place where I was born. So the revival which happened in the early 1930s uh, made my parents to commit their lives uh, to the Lord. So they became missionaries in, in Burundi. They went to plant churches in Burundi. They came back to Rwanda and continued to serve the Lord. Uh, until they passed away uh, as strong believers in the Lord. So I grew up in that environment of prayer, in that environment of, uh, of loving God, in that environment of loving Jesus and the church. But uh, I had to make a decision. You know, being born in a Christian family doesn't make you automatically a believer. <laughs> You have to encounter the Lord by yourself, isn't it? So there came a time, and uh, I still remember how uh, desperate my life was. Uh, I was an alcoholic. I was, my life, I, I had just finished my secondary school education. Uh, my life had no meaning at all. I was trying to think how I can satisfy my life how I can get peace of my life, how I can have a meaning, a future, a meaning life and a future, a meaning of, for the future. And uh, I tried all ways to make my life happy, to make my life at peace. But I failed. I failed. I was like someone chasing wind. Then the memories of my parents' prayer, my parents' life in the Lord started to come in me. And the Lord started to speak to me about Jesus, about the love of Jesus, 
about the saving message of Jesus in a way, in a deeper way that I had never before understood. And one of the verses of the Bible that changed my life, I'm sure you have your Bibles, is found in the first letter of John, chapter 5, verse 12, where we read that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. That verse transformed my life. I said, Lord, here I am. I want life that you give. I want life that you give, that you can give. I have tried to get life in this world. I have tried to get life in a drinking. I have tried to get life in all sorts of evil deeds. I failed. Here I am. Lord, I want life from you. It happened. As I was praying, as I was kneeling down, shedding my tears, crying to God, it happened. Like a shower, like a wonderful shower of God's blessings started to flow in my life. And the life of Jesus Christ started to flow in me. Joy started to flow in me. Peace started to flow in me. I became a Christian. I said, here I am. So I started to go anywhere <laughs> and to tell anybody the wonderful deeds of Jesus Christ in my life. I became an evangelist in schools in Rwanda. I carried the gospel wherever I felt I, I was called to reach young people because the Lord came to me when I was, you know, 23, 22. That's 22 years. So I, called, I felt being called to reach young people. And I preached to the young people in Rwanda, in schools, in churches. And um, the Lord used me tremendously. I saw young people committing their lives. Even today, sometimes we meet in the streets of Chigari. They are big boys. They are big men like me. <laughs> Those who have committed their lives during that time when I was ministering to them in schools. And uh, time came when I felt God calling me to join as a full-time pastor in, in the church. And I said, yes, Lord, I am ready. I can't just preach to people and go. I want to disciple the people I preach. I want to see the people I preach growing, deepening their faith in you. So I joined the Bible College in Tanzania. That was 1993. 1993, I went to the Bible College in Tanzania, and I went to be prepared to be a priest in the American church in Rwanda. That time was not easy for me. As you very much know the history of Rwanda, I went to the Bible College in Tanzania when the war was raging in a country. Uh, it was not an easy period. Uh, I remember crossing the border to Mwanza, being escorted by my father and my mother. In the country, the situation was tense. Ethnic hatred messages were being communicated in all radios in the country, in all newspapers. War at the border with Uganda was raging. And I remember my mother telling me, Louis, you are going back to Tanzania, you are going back to the college, but pray for us. Maybe you will be the one remaining to tell about the story. 
about Rwanda. So I went back to Tanzania, went back to the Bible College, and while there in 1994, the genocide struck. Systematic killings started in my country. Uh, those who were coming from the ethnic Tutsis, they started to be targeted. The government which was there was determined to clear and to exterminate those people. And that's where I come from. That's where my family, I'm a Tutsi by ethnic. And uh, while there, uh, when the genocide was taking place, I started to receive messages from friends who were fleeing Rwanda, coming to Tanzania, telling me how the killings, how people were dying. And uh, it was not an easy. One day I received a message of the death of my three brothers in Chigari. A friend told me they have been killed and they started to tell me lists of my uncles, my aunties, my extended families who, who, have, who have been butchered. It was not an easy time for me. I remember you know, I was just there you know, with other students. I remember running, <laughs> running straight, facing where the chapel was. I went at the altar. I fell down at the, you know, at the, just at the foot of the cross, like that, like the cross you see there. I started to cry. I started to pour my heart, my bitterness, my anger, my fear, my desperation to Jesus. I, it was not an easy time. But <laughs> the Lord is good, brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen. Why are they why are they crying to the Lord? Why are they filled of bitterness and anger? Why are they wondering what next? Why are they wondering whether I would be a minister in Rwanda, whether I would be able to serve, serve my God in Rwanda? The Lord started to speak to me. The message of the cross started to speak to me in a deeper way than before. I just want to read you a scriptural reading that came during that time. I was at the altar crying and seeking, you know, pouring my anger and bitterness to God. First Corinthians, you know this verse very well. First Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 18. This passage is wonderful. It talks about Christ, the power, the power of the cross. Yes. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 18. For the message about Christ, his death on the cross, is nonsense. I'm reading from Good News Bible. Maybe you have an idea, for the message about Christ is death on the cross is nonsense to those who are being lost. But for us who are being saved, it is God's power. The scripture says, the scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and set aside the understanding of the scholars. So then where does the, that leave the wise? 
all the scholars, all the school doubters in this world. God has shown that this world's wisdom is foolishness. For God, in his wisdom, made it impossible for people to know him by means of their own wisdom. Instead, by means of the so-called foolishness, of the so-called foolish message we preach. God decided to save those who believe. This passage came to me in a very powerful way. The power of the cross. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who, are, who can't understand, to those who don't believe. But the cross is power, is powerful to those who are broken-hearted, to those who are saved, to those who want to be saved, to those who want to be humble before God, to those who need a savior. The cross is powerful. So, the message of the cross, God used it that time to speak to me. I came to realize during those times of bitterness, during those times of terrible times I was in, that the cross is not just a reminder of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it reminds us that suffering is part of our Christian heritage. It reminds us that in suffering, we are sharpened, we are polished. Our faith goes in a furnace like a, <laughs> like a metal to be used by God in the way he wants. So the message of the cross became, came to me in a powerful way. It, the, the cross reminded me that forgiveness is possible. I started to remember the words of Jesus at the cross. They are about seven words, I think. When he was dying at the cross, and among those seven words, there is where, where he said, when he, where he said to those who were killing him, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. So this, the cross started to speak to me about forgiveness. The cross started to speak to me about repentance. You know, like, like someone looking at a film, I started to see the criminals, the two criminals with Jesus at the cross. I remember the one who repented, the one who said, Lord, remember me. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a criminal, but remember me. So it became a, a reminder that repentance is possible. The cross of Jesus came, in a, in, came to me in a wonderful way. It reminded me resurrection. Amen? We don't see the cross and stop there. There is resurrection. There is a new life. There is hope. Oh, so my life was rediscovered again. My calling was rediscovered again. I started to repent before the Lord, repenting of my bitterness towards the people who have killed my brothers and my uncles and my aunties. I started to repent 
be my bitterness, my anger against God. I started to to utter forgiveness, even if it was not easy, but the Lord enabled me to forgive. And the more I did that, the more my life was renewed again in the Bible college, the more I started to refocus again my calling in Rwanda. Let me tell you, my friends, there was a time I was about to pack my things and go back and leave ministry. Honestly, it, there was a time when I would enter in the room, in the Bible college, in my room, and want to pack my bags and go back to Rwanda and, and leave the ministry. Because I was very angry with God. But the message of the cross revived me and restored my calling and my spiritual life and my faith. So I went back to Rwanda after the genocide and uh, I was ordained in the Anglican Church in Rwanda. And uh, I was really ready to serve God, even now I'm still ready to serve God in Rwanda. I became a priest in the cathedral. I started to give my testimony of forgiveness and repentance. The more I could give my testimony, some people who were bitter like me would be, would, would be touched by the hand of God, would repent and would forgive. Others would not feel happy or comfortable with my testimony because even today there are people who, in Rwanda who are still struggling to forgive the past. They are really, they are struggling. They are full of bitterness. Some, of, some people, people are there in our churches. We pray for them, we counsel them, we cry with them, but they are struggling. Repentance or forgiveness is a journey. And I'm sure that one day these people, because they are in the church and they are still seeking prayer, one day they will break and one day they will be released from that prison of lack of forgiveness, from that prison of lack of repentance. So I became a priest and uh, it came a time when uh, uh, I was, uh, I became a bishop as you can see. But uh, I thank the Lord for the journey of faith, though full of challenges. But that's our life journey, brothers and sisters. When God calls you, when God calls you to serve him, or when you decide to be a Christian in this world, you don't, you are not called to walk in a in a street full of roses and uh, <laughs> I don't know how I can put it. <laughs> you are not called to walk in the street full of roses and uh, eh, tarmac. You know, you are called to walk in a very difficult journey. But with God's help, you will do it. You will make it. You will make it. Just focus on the Lord. You will make it. We are serving God in Rwanda in a very difficult situation. But we thank God where Rwanda is today. We thank God the changes that are taking place in Rwanda today. Rwanda is now, among the East African countries, the most, the safest country in the East African countries. The economy of Rwanda 
has, oh my God, is growing. And we thank God for the government of unity we have. The government that is willing to work with the church for reconciliation, for, for bringing peace and reconciliation in the country. Every year, our president and our ministers and our MPs, they call us to come and lay hands on them and pray for them for that year. We did it this year in January. We prayed for our president, our ministers, our MPs. We laid hands on them. Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful. We have never had them in, in our history. Wonderful. Wonderful. So there is hope for wonder, brothers and sisters. There is hope for wonder. There is a, there is a verse in Job I want to share with you. Job, I, sometimes, you know, there are, there are words I have underlined in, the, in my Bible which speak a lot in, to me. Job, 14.7. I don't know, I'm not going into the exegesis of this passage and uh, to know the background of what these words mean in the book of Job. But Job 14.7, we read, Job 14, the book of Job 14.7, we read, there is hope. There is hope for a tree that has been cut down. There is hope for a tree that has been cut down. It can come back to life and sprout. Even though its roots grow old and its stem dies in the ground, with the water it will sprout like a young plant. Amen. I've been going around. Your trees have no leaves. <laughs> Your trees have no leaves. I don't know what happened. Where are they? Do you have hope that the <laughs> do, you, do you have hope that the leaves will come? There is hope for a country that has been cut down like one in nineteen ninety four. And we are seeing that hope coming into existence. There is hope for Rwanda. That is the message I'm bringing you. We are we are seeing that hope in the coming. There is hope. People's lives are being transformed. Criminals and killers in the prisons where we take the gospel, they are repenting and 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 they are coming to the Lord. They are, they are, they are really, they are, there is breaking. There is breaking in a way we have never seen it. So many people are coming to the Lord. So many lives are being transformed. Reconciliation is taking place. Yeah. Killers and you know, victims, of, victims and the perpetrators are blessing one another in the church. We are seeing this. In the prisons, we are seeing this. There is hope. Not for a tree, but for a country that has been cut down. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that there is hope, not just for a country or for a tree, there is hope for your life. There is hope for your life. I don't know 
what is cutting your life. I don't know what is blocking peace and joy in your life, but there is hope. There is hope for a life that has been cut. There is hope for marriage that has been cut. There is hope for, I don't know, there is hope for a church that has been that has diverted its calling. That's why you are part of Rwanda. That's why you, that's why, that's why you, have, you are here. That's why you are here. It's God's purpose for the, that you are here so that you can continue the tradition, so that you can continue the genuine calling of the, of the church of God. So there is hope. There is hope for a country, for a life, for a church that has been cut down to grow again, to bring life again, to sprout again, if it is watered. The water of the gospel. I think that's our water, isn't it? The gospel is the water that can bring that life again. The loving message of our Jesus Christ is, the, is that water. The, the message of the cross, that is the water. You know, even me, that was, I, I, I was cut, I was really, the devil wanted to cut my life completely, to cut my calling. But because of the cross, my life was restored. As I, as I told you in my testimony. So there is hope, friends. There is hope where there is hopelessness, there is love where there is no love. As we come to the cross, as we come to Jesus, we get that love, we get that, that, uh, we have, that life comes, up, comes, in, comes again. So I thank God for the wonderful partnership we have as churches here in, uh, in Amia, the wonderful partnership we have in our in the ministry, in our calling. And uh, I always tell my people that the partnership that Amia churches have with Rwanda is a wonderful demonstration, is a wonderful demonstration of the universality of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I see the flag of Rwanda there, and I see the flag of your country here, when I see Amir pastors coming together with Rwandan pastors, as it is happening, as my relationship, as my wonderful relationship between your bishop and me and our father, you know, I see a wonderful picture of the universality of the church in Christ. And that's what Jesus really was praying for. I pray for unity. Hmm? I pray for unity. In Christ, there is no black, there is no white, there is no Rwandan, there is no... <laughs> in Christ, we are one. Amen? In Christ, we are one. We are brothers and sisters. And that's a wonderful richness. That's a wonderful... Hmm? There's a wonderful... When we bring our gifts together... Hmm? When we bring our gifts together, when we bring our uniqueness together, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, 
I have enjoyed the conference at Greensboro. I have enjoyed the Oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> See people from different countries, different cultures, hugging one another. Eh? Praying with one another. Oh, what a word. It's a foretaste of heaven. It's a foretaste of heaven. So, uh, that's what Jesus was praying. That's what Jesus was saying. We are the body of Christ. And we are one in the Lord. May God bless you. Uh, I'm taking, I will take your greetings back to Chigari, to my diocese. And uh, I would love to keep in touch with you. I would love to keep in relationship with you. I would love you to come and visit Chigari Diocese and see and talk and share and cry with our people and laugh with our people and minister, you know, you know, blessings in both ways. We need it. May God bless you. Thank you.